Time to make the club go up. Time to shut this bitch down. This is not how I woke up, but it's how I look now. If you leave with me, we'll be on till morn. Then we race and repeat, and it just goes. Welcome on. to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet 'em, greet 'em, treat 'em, and street 'em. Today's date is June 20th, 2017, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Don't Rinse, Don't Repeat. And our guest skeptic is Jay Loosely. He is a registered nurse and an advanced care paramedic in London, Ontario, Canada. His background includes working as a research assistant with the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, professor at Fanshawe College, and currently the superintendent of education for Middlesex London EMS in London, Ontario, Canada. Wow, when do you have time to do this, Jay? Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, welcome back to the SGM. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, you know what? We tried to put this episode together earlier in the year, and it was going to be recorded at that awesome event that's called Talk Trauma. You know, that would have been awesome. It's just too bad it didn't all work out. We're just so busy. Yeah, well, I had a great time presenting at Talk Trauma, and you can get all of my slides from that presentation on the SGM website. That's awesome. I heard you had a lightsaber there. Oh, I came out channeling Doc Vader. I, I did get that from Zubin Demania, and he does Doc Vader on the internet. And so I thought, wow, this would be a great Star Wars theme. So I came out with my lightsaber, and I presented that with ED superstar nurse Brenda Pulsa. And you know what, Jay? What? We are already working on our talk trauma presentation for next year to make it even better. So I can only imagine. <laughs> stay tuned. It will have some audience participation. Awesome. But let's get this episode going with a case. Perfect. So let's start off with a 71-year-old woman who has a witness cardiac arrest while watching her daughter's soccer game. Bystander CPR was started and EMS was called. They arrive quickly and take over resuscitation. She is not in a shockable rhythm, so the paramedics continue CPR, get an IV, give a round of epi, and they wonder, should they start cooling en route to the hospital? Well, therapeutic hypothermia post-cardiac arrest has received a great deal of attention since 2002. And that's when two relatively small randomized control trials were published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Not my favorite journal. Oh. It showed that hypothermia post-cardiac arrest resuscitation was neuroprotective. So the Cochrane Collaboration updated their review on hypothermia for neuroprotection in adults after CPR in 2012. So they concluded, and I quote, conventional cooling methods to induce mild therapeutic hypothermia seem to improve survival and neurologic outcome after cardiac arrest. Our review supports the current best medical practice as recommended by the International Resuscitation Guidelines, end quotes. The SGM was skeptical of pre-hospital cooling for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest after reviewing two studies on the subject. Both papers showed no patient-oriented benefit to pre-hospital cooling in patients with OCA, that's out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and return of spontaneous circulation, or ROSCI. So then came the Targeted Temperature Management, or TTM, trial by Nielsen et al. in the, your favorite journal in 2013. The bottom line was TTM trial, it did not demonstrate a benefit of a targeted temperature management of 33 degrees Celsius versus 36 degrees for survival of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And I believe that your show, number 82, talked about this. Yes, that was episode 82. So what's the clinical question we're answering this week? 
So the question is, does rapid cooling by EMS with large volumes of 4 degrees Celsius normal saline improve outcome in patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest receiving CPR? And what's the reference, Jay? Bernard et al., Induction of Therapeutic Hypothermia During Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest Using a Rapid Infusion of Cold Saline. The RINCE Trial, Rapid Infusion of Cold Normal Saline, Circulation in 2016. All right, let's run through that PICO. What was the population? The population was adults with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest that resuscitation was started, had an IV access, and were still in cardiac arrest after the initial resuscitation efforts. Now, they did exclude some patients, and those were the ones that had a cardiac arrest due to trauma, that they suspected an intracranial bleed, that they suspected pregnancy or knew that they were pregnant, They were already cool, and they defined that as less than 34.5 degrees Celsius, or the patient had a valid DNR, do not resuscitate. What was the intervention? The intervention was rapid infusion of 30 mils per kilogram IV cold saline to a max of 2 liters. Infusion was stopped if temperature reached 33 degrees Celsius or pulmonary edema was suspected. And what did they compare it to? Standard care for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. All right, let's run through the primary and secondary outcomes. What was the primary outcome? Well, the goal for everything, survival to hospital discharge. Yeah, and then the secondary outcomes, they were looking at patients with shockable and non-shockable rhythms with Roski. They wanted to find out what was the temperature in those Roski patients when they arrived at the hospital and the place of discharge. So did the patient end up going home to a rehab facility, to a nursing home, or deceased at hospital discharge? Now, the author's conclusions were, quote, in adults with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, induction of mild therapeutic hypothermia using a rapid infusion of large volume intravenous cold saline during CPR may decrease the rate of return of spontaneous circulation in patients with an initial shockable rhythm and produced no trend towards improved outcome at hospital discharge, end of quote. All right, Jay. We've got 11 quality checklist questions to go through for randomized clinical trials. Let's run through those now. Let's do it. The first question, the study population included or focused on those in the emergency department? No. The study focused on out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients managed by EMS. And the patients, were they adequately randomized? Yes. They used a computer-generated random treatment allocation. Now, did they conceal that randomization? They did, in an envelope that you couldn't see through. All right. And the patients, were they analyzed in the group to which they were randomized? They were. The study did an intention-to-treat analysis. And did they recruit the patients consecutively? Well, this is tough. It's unsure because they did not explicitly state in their paper or their previously published methods paper that patients were recruited consecutively. The patients in both groups, were they similar with regards to prognostic factors? Yes. All participants were unaware of group allocation? No. Only the statistician was blinded to the treatment allocation. All groups were treated equally except for the intervention? Yes. Was the follow-up complete? You betcha. And how about all patient important outcomes? Were they considered? Yes, they were. And the final question, the treatment effect, was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? And the answer to that is no. All right, let's run through the key results. So they had a consort flow diagram, and that stands for Consolidated Standards of Reporting Trials. And it showed that they had over 22,000 patients in cardiac arrest that were seen by EMS and screened. 
about half of those patients, so just over 11,000 in cardiac arrest, had resuscitation commenced. So of those 22, about half of them, just over 11,000, they started resuscitation in the field. Now, just over 10% were enrolled in the study. Now, they had a few more excluded and four withdrew, and that left a final number of just under 1,200 patients. The included population had a mean age of about 65 years, almost three-quarters being male. About 60% were witnessed bystander arrests. Close to a half were found in a V-fib or tachyarrhythm. One-third were asystole, and 20% were PEA. Oh, the PEA, the pulseless electrical activity. What was the primary outcome, that survival to hospital discharge? 10.2% cooling versus 11.4% standard care, giving a p-value of 0.51. So there was no statistical difference between cooling and not cooling, standard care, for survival to hospital discharge. How about going through some of the secondary outcomes? So patients with a shockable rhythm who got a ROSC at scene, and 41.2% cooling versus 50.6% standard care, giving a p-value of 0.031. So that was a statistical significant difference. So more people in the standard care group with a shockable rhythm got Roski, while as in the intervention group, less people, less people who were cooled got Roski at scene with a shockable rhythm. Now, one of the other secondary outcomes was what if they had a non-shockable rhythm with Roski at the scene. And in that case, there was no statistical difference. Both of them were close to about 30%. So temperature in ROSC patients when arrived at hospital, 34.7 degrees Celsius cooling versus 35.4 degrees Celsius standard care, a p-value of 0.001. Watch this. They told me there'd be no math, but I'm going to do it in my head here. That means there was a difference of only 0.7 degrees Celsius in the cooling group. Crazy. All right, now, place of discharge. That was another one of their secondary outcomes. And we'll put a table in there for place of discharge. But just to highlight a couple, there was no difference between who got to go home in the cooling group or the standard group. They were both around 8 or 9%. And then if you looked at survival to discharge, so if they made it to hospital alive, how many patients survived to discharge? And again, there was no statistical difference. About 21% in both groups. Jay, that's the results section. It's time to talk a little nerdy with me. (laughs) Let's do it. All right, so we've got five things. And the first one is included patients. It's important to remember that only 5% of all cardiac arrest patients seen by EMS were included in this study. And this is because half of the patients did not have resuscitation commenced, and only about 10% of those patients were ultimately enrolled in the study. And another issue is that they included patients with non-shockable rhythm. And you and I and everybody listening who's been involved in emergency care with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest know that this traditionally has a dismal outcome. Number two, lack of blinding. Not everyone was blinded in this study. The outcome assessors were blinded to treatment allocation. It is not mentioned if the patients who survived found out which group they were allocated to. The paramedics and hospital staff were aware of treatment allocation. 
This lack of blinding for the providers may or may not have introduced some bias. However, based on the hypothesis, the bias should have been in the direction of the intervention. All right. And the third point we wanted to talk about was that temperature decrease. And I mentioned that in the results section. The two groups started at a similar temperature, about close to 36 degrees Celsius. However, the mean volume of ice-cold saline rapidly infused was 1.2 liters in the treatment group. And this only decreased the temperature by 1.2 degrees Celsius. But when you compared the standard group to the treatment group, there ultimately only ended up being a 0.7 degree Celsius difference between the two groups. So the treatment group ended up at 34.7 degrees Celsius, versus 35.4 degrees Celsius in the standard group. Now, this was statistically significant, uh, but it did not change the primary outcome, survival to hospital discharge. And it could be that the decrease in temperature was not great enough or that decreasing temperature does not make a patient-oriented outcome difference. Number four, stopped early. The trial was designed for a sample size of 2,512 patients, but the study was stopped at approximately 50% of enrollment prior to the first planned interim analysis. This was due to the publication of the TTM trial. A number of hospitals involved in the RINS trial changed their target temperature as a result of the New England Journal of Medicine publication. But stopping the trials early, usually for a benefit, has a number of problems that have been discussed before. The problem of stopping this trial early is the precision of the results. The decrease in precision can be incorporated into any results from a systematic review and meta-analysis on the therapeutic hypothermia. Ultimately, though, stopping the trial early biases the results and limits us from getting closer to the truth. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get closer to the truth so that we can give patients the best care based on the best evidence. So there are problems with stopping trials early. The fifth point we wanted to make was about patient-oriented outcomes. The primary outcome in this study was survival to discharge. Now we're always saying a better patient-oriented outcome would not just be survival, but survival with good neurologic function. Now their secondary outcome of place of discharge is a surrogate for good neurologic outcome and they found no statistical difference in what percentage of patients were discharged home, around 9% for both groups. It would have been better if they had used a validated instrument for assessing neurologic outcomes. Well, those are the five points we want to discuss. In the nerdy section, it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. So we agree with the author's conclusion. And can you give us a bottom line? We do not have good evidence that providing pre-hospital cooling to patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest receiving CPR has a patient-oriented benefit, and therefore we cannot recommend it at this time. Okay now, Jay, you get to reflect back on that case and give us a case resolution. So the 71-year-old woman with an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is not cooled in the field. You get a ROSC, transport her to the hospital, and hope she survives to hospital discharge neurologically intact. And so how are you going to take this information, because you're, you know, in charge of EMS education, how are you going to take this information and clinically apply it? Well, this is another study reinforcing that cooling pre-hospital by EMS for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest shouldn't be done here. So what are you going to tell the patient out there in the field? I will tell the patient's partner that her wife had a cardiac arrest, we were able to bring her back, but she is still unconscious. The paramedics have done everything they could, and now the hospital staff is going to do everything they can but the prognosis is poor. 
All right, it's time for the Keener Contest, and last week's winner was Matthew Corey from Fountain Hills, Arizona. He knew that Brett Michaels from the band Poison suffered an atraumatic cerebral hemorrhage. Jay, what's the question this episode? This episode's question is... When were defibrillators introduced into the paramedic system in London, Ontario? (laughs) That's a pretty local question. Which year? Okay, well, tell you what. Why don't we have a local question for all the Middlesex London EMS people, and I'll send whoever gets the answer correct a cool skeptical prize. But why don't we back up and do an international prize? We'll have a second question to branch out because the SJAM is global, and so we'll reach an international audience. And this question will be, what year was the first U.S. nationally recognized curriculum for EMS published? which many consider to be the birth of modern EMS in the U.S. There are other FOMED resources on this issue of pre-hospital therapeutic hypothermia, and I will put those in the show notes. But I want to thank you again, Jay, for taking time to do this with me today. Thanks so much for having me back. It was a pleasure as usual. And where are we recording this? Sitting right here in downtown Middlesex London EMS headquarters. We're at Mission Control. Mission Control of London, Ontario. Can I get a, can I get a tour after? Of course you can. can. Can I turn on the lights and sirens? Maybe. All right. Can you give the SJAM tagline? Oh, I sure can. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it here on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. 